Chapter Six of the Chronicles of Count Antonio by Anthony Hope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brett Downey. Count Antonio and the Hermit of the Vault. Among the stories concerning Count Antonio, which were told me in answer to my questioning, whereof I have rejected many as being no better than idle tales, there was one that met me often and yet seemed strange and impossible to believe for it was said that he had during the time of his outlawry once spent several days in the vault of the Peschetti, and there suffered things that pass human understanding. This vault lies near to the church of St. John the Theologian, in the suburb of Baratesta, on the banks of the river, and the Peschetti had a palace hard by, and were a family of high nobility, and allied by blood to the house of Montevelluto. But I could find no warrant for the story of Antonio's sojourn in the vault, and although many insisted that the tale was true, yet they could not tell how, nor why the Count came to be in the vault, until at length I chanced upon an aged woman who had heard the truth of the matter from her grandmother. And she made me acquainted with the story, pouring on me a flood of garrulous gossip, from which I have chosen as much as concerns the purpose. And here I set it down, for I believe it to be true, and would omit nothing that touches the Count, so I can be sure that what I write is based on truth. When Count Antonio had dwelt in the hills for a space of three years and nine months, it chanced that Cesar, the last of the Peschetti, died, and he made a will on his deathbed, whereby he bequeathed to Count Antonio his lands, and also a store of money, and many ornaments of gold and jewels. For Antonio's mother had been of the house of Peschetti, and Cesar loved Antonio, although he dared not give him countenance for fear of the duke's anger. Yet knowing himself to be dying, he bequeathed everything to him, for the duke's wrath could not hurt a dead man. And so soon as he was dead, his steward Giuseppe sent secretly and in haste to Antonio, saying, My lord, you cannot take the lands or the house, but if you will be wise, come quickly and take the money and the jewels, for I hear that his highness the duke, declaring that an outlaw has no right and can inherit nothing, will send and seize the treasure. Now Antonio, though grieved at the death of Cesar, was glad to hear of the treasure, for he was often hard put to it to maintain his company, and those who depended on him for bread. So he pondered anxiously how he might reach the palace of the Peschetti, and lay hands on the treasure and return safely. For at this time Duke Valentine had posted above a hundred of his guard in the plain, and this troop watched all the approaches to the hills, so that the band could not ride forth in a body unless it were prepared to do battle with the guards. Nor did Antonio desire to weaken the band, lest the guards, learning that the bravest were away, should venture an attack. Therefore he would not take Tomasino or Benna or any of the stoutest with him, but he took four young men who had come to him from Fermola, having fallen into the duke's displeasure through brawling with his guards. These he mounted on good horses, and having made a circuit to avoid the encampment in the plain, he came to Cesar's house on the day before that appointed for the funeral. Giuseppe came to meet him, and led him to where the dead man lay, and, after the count had gazed on his face and kissed his forehead, they too went to the treasury, and Giuseppe delivered the treasure to Antonio, and Antonio made him a present of value and confirmed him in his stewardship, although it was not likely that the duke would suffer him to exercise any power, inasmuch as his highness had declared his intention of forfeiting the state into his own hand. Now it chanced that one of the young men, being regaled with wine, drank freely and began to talk loud and boastfully of his master's achievements, as the servants sat under the trees in front of the house and there was with them a certain tailor, a lame man, who had furnished mourning garments for the funeral. The tailor, learning that Antonio was come, said nothing, and seemed not to hear nor understand the drunken youth's talk. But at an early moment he took his departure, and straightway 
hobbled as fast as his lame leg would let him to the syndic of Baratesta, a very busy and ambitious fellow who longed greatly to win the duke's favor, and the tailor set the price of five pieces of gold and the ordering of a new gown on the news he brought, and the syndic, having agreed, the tailor cried, Antonio of Montevelluto is at the house of the Peschetti, and his band is not with him. If you hasten, you may catch him. At this, the syndic exulted very greatly, for the duke's commissaries would not arrive to assume possession of the house in his name till the morrow, by which time Antonio would be gone, and the syndic rubbed his hands, saying, If I can take him, my glory will be great, and the gratitude of his highness also. And he gathered together all his constables, and hard upon twenty discharged soldiers who dwelt in the town, and the fifteen men of the dukes who were stationed at Baratesta, to gather his highness's dues, and thus, with a force of about fifty men, he set out in great haste for the house of the Peschetti, and was almost come there, before a little boy ran to Giuseppe, crying that the syndic, and all the constables, and many besides, were coming to the house. And Giuseppe, who had but three men-servants of an age to fight, the other five being old, for Cesar had loved to keep those who served him well, even when their power grew less than their will, and moreover perceived that Antonio's four were young and untried, wrung his hands and hastened to the count with the news, saying, Yet weak as we are, we can die for you, my lord. Heaven forbid, said Antonio, looking out of the window. Are they all townsmen that come with this syndic? Alas, no, my lord. There are certain of the duke's men, and I see among the rest men who have spent their days under arms, either in his highness's service or in free companies. Then, said Antonio, smiling, unless I am to share Cesar's funeral, I had best be gone for I have seen too much fighting to be ashamed to run away from it. But, my lord, they are at the gates. And is there no other gate? None, my lord, save the little gate in the wall there, and see, the syndic has posted ten men there. And he will search the house? I fear that he will, my lord, for he must have tidings of your coming. Then where is my horse? said Count Antonio, and Giuseppe showed him where the horses stood in the shadow of the portico. Do not let the syndic know, added Antonio, that the young men are of my company, and send them away in safety. But what do you do, my lord? cried Giuseppe. What I have done before, Giuseppe, I ride for life, answered the count. Then the count, delaying no more, ran lightly down the stairs, leaped on his horse, and drawing his sword, rode forth from the portico, and he was among the syndic's company before they thought to see him, and he struck right and left with his sword, and they fell back before him in fear, yet striking at him as they shrank away and he had come clean off, but for one grisly-haired fellow who had served much in free companies, and learnt cunning. For he stooped low, voiding the sweep of Antonio's sword, and stabbed the horse in its belly, and stood wiping his knife, saying, My legs are old, I have done my part. Do yours, the horse will not go far. In truth, the horse was wounded to death, and its bowels protruded from the wound, and Antonio felt it falter and stumble. Yet the gallant beast carried him for half a mile, and then he sprang off, fearing it would fall under him as he sat, and he be crushed by it, and he drew his sword across its throat, that it might not linger in pain, and then ran on foot, hearing the cries of the syndic's company as it pressed on behind him. And thus, running, he came to the church of St. John, and to the vault of the Peschetti by it. Two men were at work, preparing for Cesar's funeral, and the door of the vault was open. Antonio hurled one man to the right and the other to the left, and rushed into the vault, for his breath failed, and there was no chance for his life if he were overtaken in the open. And before the men regained their feet, he pulled the door of the vault closed, and sank on his knee inside, panting, and holding his sword in readiness to slay any who entered. Then the syndic and his company came and called on him to surrender, 
and Antonio cried, Come and take me. Then the syndic bade the workmen pull open the door, but Antonio held it with one hand against them both. Yet at last they drew it a little open, and Antonio lunged with his sword through the aperture, and wounded the syndic in the leg, so that he stumbled backward with an oath. And after that none was willing to enter first, until the grisly-haired fellow came up. But he, seeing the aperture, rushed at it sword in hand, fearing no man, not even Count Antonio. But he could not touch Antonio, and he also fell back with a sore gash in his cheek, and Antonio laughed, saying, "'Shall I surrender, syndic?' Now the syndic was very urgent in his desire to take Antonio, but his men shook their heads, and he himself could not stand because of the sword thrust in his leg. And instead of fighting, his company began to tell of the wonderful deeds Antonio had done, and they grew no bolder by this. And the grizzly-haired fellow mocked them, saying he would go again at the aperture if two or more would attempt it with him, but none offered. And the syndic raged and rebuked them, but he could not hurt them, being unable to stand on his feet. So that one said boldly, Why should we die? The duke's commissaries will be here to-morrow with a company of the guard. Let the count stay in the vault till then. He is in safe keeping, and when he sees the guard he will surrender. It is likely enough that a great lord like the count would rather die than give up his sword to the syndic. Whereat the syndic was very ill-pleased, but all the rest mighty well-pleased, and having heard this counsel, they could by no means be persuaded to attack afresh. But they let Antonio draw the door closed again, being in truth glad to see the last of his sword. Therefore the syndic, having no choice, sent twenty to guard the entrance of the vault, and prepared to depart. But he cried to Antonio, again bidding him to surrender, for the guard would come to-morrow, and then at least he could not hope to resist. "'Aye, but to-morrow is to-morrow, Master Syndic,' laughed Antonio. "'Go, and get your leg dressed, and leave to-morrow till at dawn.' So the syndic went home, and the rest with him, leaving the twenty on guard, and to this day, if a man hath more love for fighting than skill in it, the folk call him a syndic of Baratesta. Count Antonio, being thus left in the vault, and perceiving that he would not be further molested that day, looked round, and though no daylight reached the vault, he could see, for the workmen had set a lamp there, and it still burnt. Around him were the coffins of all the Peschetti who had died in five hundred years, and the air was very heavy and stifling. Antonio took the lamp and walked round the vault, which was of circular form, and he perceived one coffin, standing upright against the wall of the vault, as though there had been no room for it on the shelves. Then he sat down again, and, being weary, leant his head against the wall, and soon slept. For a man whose conscience is easy, and whose head has sense in it, may sleep as well in a vault as in a bedchamber. Yet the air of the vault oppressed him, and he slept but lightly and uneasily. And, if proof be needed how legends gather round the Count's name, I have heard many wonderful stories of what happened to him in the vault, how he held converse with the dead Peschetti, how they told him things which it is not given to men to know. Now a certain beautiful lady, who had been dead two hundred years, having been slain by her lover in a jealous rage, came forth from the coffin, with her hair all dishevelled and a great wound yet bleeding in her bosom, and sang a low, sweet, wild love-song to him as he lay, and would not leave him, though he bade her soul rest in the name of Christ and the saints. But that any of these things happen, I do not believe. It was late when the Count awoke, and the lamp had burnt out, so that the vault was utterly dark, and as the Count roused himself, a strange sound in the place fell on his ear, for a man talked, and his talk was not such as one uses who speaks aloud his own musings to himself when he is alone, a trick men come by who live solitary. But he seemed to question others and to answer them, saying, I, and no, and alas, sweet friend, and so forth, all in a low, even voice, and now and again he would sigh, and once he laughed bitterly. 
Then the Count raised his voice. Who is here? And the other voice answered, Which of you speaks? The tones are not known to me. Yet I know all the Peschetti who are here. And Antonio answered, I am not of the Peschetti, save by my mother. My name is Antonio of Montevelluto. On this a cry came from the darkness, as of a man greatly troubled and alarmed. And after that there was silence for a space. And Antonio said, There is not to fear. I seek to save myself, not to hurt another. But how do you, a living man, come to me in this vault, and with whom do you speak? Then came the sound of steel striking on a flint, and presently a spark, and a torch was lighted, and Antonio beheld before him, in the glow of the torch, the figure of a man who crouched on the floor of the vault over against him. His hair was long and tangled, his beard grew to his waist, and he was naked save for a cloth about his loins, and his eyes gleamed dark and wild as he gazed on Antonio in seeming fright and bewilderment. Then the Count, knowing that a man collects his thoughts while another speaks, told the man who he was and how he came there, and, because the man's eyes still wondered, how that he was an outlaw these three years and more, because he would not bow to the Duke's will. And when he had told all, he ceased. Then the man came crawling closer to him, and holding the torch to his face, scanned his face, saying, Surely he is alive. And again he was silent, but after a while he spoke. For twenty-three years, he said, I have dwelt here among the dead, and to the dead I talk, and they are my friends and companions. For I hear their voices, and they come out of their coffins and greet me. Yet now they are silent and still, because you are here. But how can you live here? cried Antonio. For you must starve for lack of food, and come near to suffocation in the air of this vault. The man set his hand to his brow and frowned, and said sadly, Indeed, I have forgotten much, yet I remember a certain night when the devil came into me, and in my black fury and jealousy I laid wait by the door of the room where my wife was, and we had been wedded but a few months. There was a man who was my friend, and he came to my wife secretly, seeking to warn her that I was suspected of treason to the prince. Yes, in all things he was my friend, for when I stabbed him as he came to the door, and rushing in stabbed her also, she did not die till she told me all, and then she smiled sweetly at me, saying, Our friend will forgive, dear husband, for you did not know, and I forgive the blow your love dealt me. Kiss me, and let me die here in your arms. And I kissed her, and she died. Then I laid her on the bed, and I went forth from my home, and I wandered many days. Then I sought to kill myself, but I could not, for a voice seemed to say, What penitence is there in death? Lo, it is sweet, Paolo. So I did not kill myself, but took an oath to live apart from men till God should, in his mercy, send me death. And, coming in my wanderings to the river that runs by Baratesta, I found a little hollow in the bank of the river, and I lay down there, and none pursued me, for the Duke of Fermola cared not for a crime done in Montevolia. And for a year I dwelt in my little cave, and then it was noised about that I dwelt there, and fools began to call me, who was the vilest sinner born, a holy hermit, and they came to me to ask prayers. So I begged from one a pick, and I worked on the face of the rock, and made a passage through it, and I swore to look no more on the light of the sun, but abode in the recesses that I had hollowed out, and I go no more to the mouth of the cave, save once a day at nightfall, when I drink of the water of the river, and take the broken meats they leave for me. But here, how came you here? cried Antonio. I broke through one day by chance, as I worked on the rock, and, seeing the vault, I made a passage with much labor, and having done this, I hid it with a coffin, and now I dwell here with the dead, expecting the time when in God's mercy I also shall be allowed to die. But to-day I fled back through the passage, 
for men came and opened the vault and let in the sunshine which i might not see pray for me sir i have need of prayers now god comfort you said count antonio softly of a truth sir a man who knows his sin and grieves for it in his heart hath in god's eyes no longer any sin so it is sweetly taught in the most holy scriptures therefore take comfort for your friend will forgive even as the gentle lady who loved you forgave and christ has no less forgiveness than they i know it said the hermit groaning heavily i question the dead who lie here concerning these things but they may not tell me indeed poor man they can tell nothing said antonio gently for perceived that the man was subject to a madness and deluded by fancied visions and voices yet i love to talk to them of the time when i also shall be dead god comfort you said count antonio again now while antonio and the hermit talked one of those who guarded the vault chanced to lay his ear against the door listening whether antonio moved and he heard to his great dread and consternation the voice of another who talked with antonio most of what was said he did not hear but he heard antonio say god comfort you and the hermit answer something and groan heavily and the legs of the listener shook under him and he cried to his comrades that the dead talked with antonio he himself being from fright more dead than alive then all came and listened and still the voice of another talked with antonio so that the guards were struck with terror and looked into one another's faces saying the dead speak the count speaks with the dead christ and the blessed mother of christ and the saints protect us and they looked neither to the right nor left but sat quaking on the ground about the door of the vault and presently one ran and told the syndic and he caused himself to be carried thither in his chair and he also heard and was very greatly afraid saying this antonio of montevelluto is a fearful man and the report spread throughout baratesta that count antonio talked with the dead in the vault of the peschetti whence came i doubt not the foolish tales of which i have made mention a seed is enough men's tongues water it and it grows to a great plant nor did any man think that it was the hermit who talked for although they knew of his cave they did not know nor imagine of the passage he had made and his voice was utterly strange seeing that he had spoken no word to any living man for twenty years till he spoke with the count that night therefore the whole of baratesta was in great fear and they came to a certain learned priest who was priest of the church of st john and they told him and he arose and came in great haste and offered prayers outside the vault and bade the unquiet spirits rest but he did not offer to enter nor did any one of them but they all said we have determined even before to await the duke's guard and that is still the wiser thing for a great while the hermit could not understand what antonio wanted of him for his thoughts were on his own state and with the dead but at length having understood that antonio would be guided through the passage and brought to the mouth of the cave in the hope of finding means to escape before the duke's commissaries came with the guard he murmured wonderingly do you then desire to live and rose and led antonio where the coffin stood upright against the wall as antonio had seen it but now it was moved a little to one side and there was a narrow opening through which the count had much ado to pass and in his struggles he upset the coffin and it fell with a great crash whereat all who were outside the vault fled suddenly to a distance of a hundred yards or more in panic expecting now to see the door of the vault open and the dead walk forth nor could they be persuaded to come nearer again but antonio with a great effort made his way through the opening and followed the hermit along a narrow rough-hewn way antonio's shoulders grazing the rock on either side as he went and having pursued this way for fifteen or twenty paces they turned to the right sharply and went on another ten paces and having passed through another narrow opening were in the cave 
and the river glistened before their eyes, for it was now dawn. And the hermit, perceiving that it was dawn, and fearing to see the sun, turned to flee back to the vault. But Antonio, being full of pity for him, detained him, and besought him to abandon his manner of life, assuring him that certainly by now his sin was purged. And when the hermit would not listen, Antonio followed him back to the opening that led into the vault, and, forgetting his own peril, reasoned with him for the space of an hour or more, but could not prevail. So at last he bade him farewell very sorrowfully, telling him that God had made him that day the instrument of saving a man's life, which should be to him a sign of favor and forgiveness. But the hermit shook his head and passed into the vault, and Antonio heard him again talking to the dead Paschetti, and answering questions that his own disordered brain invented. Thus it was full morning when Antonio came again to the little cave by the river, and bethought him what he should do for his own safety. And suddenly, looking across the river, he beheld a gentleman whom he knew, one Lepardo, a commissary of the Duke's, and with him thirty of the Duke's guard, and they were riding very fast, for having started at midnight to avoid the heat of the sun, it being high summer, so soon as they reached the outskirts of Baratesta, they had heard that Antonio was in the vault, and were now pressing on to cross the bridge and come upon him. And Antonio knew that Lepardo was a man of courage and hardihood, and would be prevented by nothing from entering the vault. But on a sudden Lepardo checked his horse, uttering a loud cry, for to his great amazement he had seen Antonio as Antonio looked forth from the cave, and he could not tell how he came to be there, and Antonio at once withdrew himself into the shadow of the cave. Now the banks of the stream on the side on which Lepardo rode were high and precipitous, and, although it was summer, yet the stream was too deep for him to wade, and flowed quickly. Yet at Lepardo's bidding, six of his stoutest men prepared to leap down the bank and go in search of Antonio. And Antonio, discerning that they would do this, and blaming himself for his rashness in looking out so incautiously, was greatly at a loss what to do. For now he was hemmed in on either side, and he saw nothing but to sell his life dearly, and do some deed that should ornament his death. So he retreated again along the passage, and passed through the opening into the vault, and he summoned the hermit to aid him, and between them they set not one only, but a dozen of the coffins of the Paschetti against the opening, laying them lengthwise and piling one atop the other, hoping that Lepardo's men would not discover the opening, or at least be delayed some time before they could thrust away the coffins and come through. Then Antonio took his place by the gate of the vault again, sword in hand, saying grimly to the hermit, if ye seek death, sir, he will be hereabouts before long. But the Count Antonio was not a man whom his friends would abandon to death unaided, and while the syndic was watching Antonio, the four young men who were with the Count made their escape from Cesar's house, and having separated from one another, rode by four different ways to the hills, using much wariness. Yet three of them were caught by the Duke's company that watched in the plain, and having been soundly flogged, were sent to work as servants in the camp. But the fourth came safe to the hills, and found there Tomasino and Benna. And Tomasino, hearing of Antonio's state, started with Benna and eighteen more to rescue him, or die with him. And they fell in with a scouting party of the dukes, and slew every man of them to the number of five, losing two of their own number, but thus they escaped, there being none left to carry the news to the camp. And they rode furiously, and, by the time they came near Baratesta, they were not more than a mile behind Lepardo's company. But Lepardo, when he had detached the six men to watch Antonio, rode on hastily to find the syndic, and learned from him the meaning of what he had seen. And thus Tomasino, coming opposite to the mouth of the hermit's cave, saw no more than six horses tethered on the river-bank, having the duke's escutcheon wrought on their saddle-cloths. Then he leapt down, and running to the edge of the bank, saw a man disappearing into the mouth of the cave, dripping wet. 
and this man was the last of the six who had swum the river, and were now groping their way with great caution along the narrow track that the hermit had made. Now Tomasino understood no more than Lepardo that there was any opening from the cave to the vault, but he thought that the duke's men did not swim the river for their pleasure, and he bade Benna take five and watch what should happen, while he rode on with the rest. "'If they come out immediately,' he said, "'you will have them at a disadvantage. But if they do not come out, go in after them, for I know not what they are doing unless they are seeking my cousin or laying some trap for him.' Then Tomasino rode after Lepardo, and Benna, having given the duke's men but the briefest space in which to come out again from the cave, prepared to go after them. And the duke's men were now much alarmed, for the last man told them of the armed men on the bank opposite, and that they did not wear the duke's badge. So the six retreated up the passage very silently, but they could not find any opening, for it grew darker at every step, and they became much out of heart. Then Benna's men crossed the river and entered the mouth of the cave after them. Thus there was fair likelihood of good fighting both in the passage and by the gate of the vault. But the Count Antonio, not knowing that any of his band was near, had ceased to hope for life, and he sat calm and ready, sword in hand, while the hermit withdrew to a corner of the vault, and crouched there muttering his mad answers and questions, and ever and again hailing some one of the dead Paschettis by name, as though he saw him. Then suddenly a coffin fell with a loud crash from the top of the heap on to the floor, for the duke's men had found the opening, and were pushing at it with hand and shoulder. Antonio sprang to his feet, and left the gate and went, and stood ready by the pile of coffins. But again, on a sudden, came a tumult from beyond the opening, for Benna and his five were also now in the passage, and the foremost of them, who indeed was Benna himself, had come upon the hindmost of the duke's men, and the six, finding an enemy behind them, pushed yet more fiercely and strenuously against the coffins. And no man in the passage saw any man, it being utterly dark, and they could not use their swords for lack of space, but drew their daggers and thrust fiercely when they felt a man's body near. So in the dark they pushed and wrestled and struggled and stabbed, and the sound of their tumult filled all the vault and spread beyond, being heard outside, and many outside crossed themselves for fear, saying, Hell is broke loose! God save us! But at that moment came Lepardo and his company, and he, having leaped from his horse and heard from the syndic that Antonio was in very truth in the vault, drew his sword and came at the head of his men to the door, and hearing the tumult from within, he cried in scorn, These are no ghosts! and he himself, with his boldest, rushed at the door, and they laid hold on the handles of it, and wrenched it open. But Antonio, perceiving that the door was wrenched open, and not yet understanding that any of his friends were near, suddenly flung himself prone on the floor by the wall of the vault, behind two of the coffins, which the efforts of the duke's men had dislodged. And there he lay hidden, so that Lepardo, when he rushed in, saw no man, for the corner where the hermit crouched was dark. But the voice of the madman came, saying, "'Welcome!' Do you bring me another of the Paschetti? He is welcome. Then the duke's men, having pushed aside all the coffins save one, came tumbling and scrambling over into the vault, where they found Lepardo and his followers, and hot on their heels came Benna and his five, so that the vault was full of men. And now from outside also came the clatter of hoofs, and hoarse cries, and the clash of steel, for Tomasino had come, and had fallen with great fury on those of Lepardo's men, who were outside, and on the syndic's levies that watched from afar off and fierce was the battle outside, yet it was fiercer inside, where men fought in a half-light, scarcely knowing with whom they fought, and tripping hither and thither over the coffins of the Paschetti that were strewn about the floor. Then the Count Antonio arose from where he lay and cried aloud, To me, to me, to me, Antonio of Montevelluto! And he rushed to the entrance of the vault. Benna, hailing the Count's voice, and cutting down one who barred the way, ran to Antonio in great joy to find him alive and whole. 
and Antonio came at Lepardo, who stood his onset bravely, although greatly bewildered to find a party of Antonio's men where he had looked for Antonio alone. And he cried to his men to rally around him, and, keeping his face and his blade towards the count, began to fall back towards the mouth of the vault, in order to rejoin his men outside, where there also he perceived that there was an enemy. Thus Lepardo fell back, and Antonio pressed on. But, unnoticed by any, the mad hermit now sprang forth from the corner where he had been, and, as Antonio was about to thrust at Lepardo, the hermit caught him by the arm, and with the strength of frenzy drew him back, and thrust himself forward, running even on the point of Lepardo's sword that was ready for the Count Antonio. And the sword of Lepardo passed through the breast of the hermit of the vault, and protruded behind his back between his shoulders, and he fell prone on the floor of the vault, crying exultantly, "'Death! Thanks be to God! Death!' And then and there he died of the thrust that Lepardo gave him. But Antonio, with Benna and three more, for two of Benna's five were slain, drove Lepardo and his men back before them, and thus won their way to the gate of the vault, where, to their joy, they found that Tomasino more than held his own, for he had scattered Lepardo's men, and the syndics were in full flight, save eight or ten of the old soldiers who had served in free companies, and these stood in a group, their swords in their right hands and daggers in the left, determined to die dearly, and the grisly-haired fellow who had killed Antonio's horse had assumed command of them. "'Here are some fellows worth fighting, my lord,' said Benna to Tomasino joyfully. "'Let us meet them, my lord, man for man, an equal number of us.' For although Benna had killed one man and maimed another in the vault, he saw no reason for staying his hand. "'Aye, Benna,' laughed Tomasino, "'these fellows deserve to die at hands of men like us.' But while they prepared to attack, Antonio cried suddenly, "'Let them be. There are enough men dead over this matter of Cesar's treasure.' and he compelled Tomasino and Benna to come with him, although they were very reluctant, and they seized the horses that had belonged to Lepardo's men, and, one of Tomasino's men also being dead, Benna took his horse. Then Antonio said to the men of the free companies, What is your quarrel with me? I do but take what is mine. Go in peace. The syndic is no master of yours. But the men shook their heads and stood their ground. Then Antonio turned and rode to the entrance of the vault where his band was now besieging Lepardo, and he cried to Lepardo, "'Confer with me, sir. You can come forth safely.' And Lepardo came out from the vault, having lost there no fewer than five men, and having others wounded, and he himself was wounded in his right arm, and could not hold his sword. Then the Count said to him, "'Sir, it is no shame for a man to yield when fortune is against him, and I trust that I am one to whom a gentleman may yield without shame. See, the syndic's men are fled, and yours are scattered, and these men, who stand bravely together, are not enough to resist me.' And Lepardo answered sadly, for he was very sorry that he had failed to take Antonio. Indeed, my lord, we are worsted, for we are not ten men against one, as I think they should be who seek to overcome my lord Antonio. To this Antonio bowed most courteously, saying, Nay, it is rather fortune, sir. And Lepardo said, Yet we can die, in case you put unseemly conditions on us, my lord. There is no condition save that you fight no more against me to-day, said Antonio. So let it be, my lord said Lepardo, and to this the men of the free companies also agreed, and they mingled with Antonio's band, and two of them joined themselves to Antonio that day, and were with him henceforward, one being afterwards slain on Mount Agnino, and the other preserving his life through all the perils that beset the Count's company. Then Antonio went back to the house of Cesar, and brought forth the body of Cesar, and having come to the vault, caused those who had been slain to be carried out, and set the coffins again in decent order, and laid Cesar, the last of the house, there. But when the corpse of the hermit was brought out, all marveled very greatly, and had much compassion for him, 
when they heard from the lips of Count Antonio his pitiful story. And Antonio bestowed, out of the monies that he had from Cesar, a large sum that masses might be said for the soul of the hermit. For of a surety, said the Count, it was heaven's will that through his misfortune, and the strange madness that came upon him, my life should be saved. These things done, Antonio gathered his band, and having taken farewell of Lopardo, and commended him for the valor of his struggle, prepared to ride back to the hills. And his face was grave, for he was considering earnestly how he should escape the hundred men who lay watching for him in the plain. But while he considered, Tomasino came to him and said, Alberatesta is ours, cousin. Cannot we get a change of coat, and thus ride with less notice from the duke's camp? And Antonio laughed also, and they sent and caught twenty men of Baratesta, grave merchants and petty traders, and among them Benna laid hold of the syndic, and brought him in his chair to Antonio. And the count said to the syndic, It is ill meddling with the affairs of better men, master syndic. Off with that gown of yours. And they stripped the syndic of his gown, and Antonio put on the gown. Thus the syndic had need very speedily of the new gown which he had contracted to purchase of the lame tailor, as the price of the tailor's information. And all Antonio's men clothed themselves like merchants and traders, Antonio in the syndic's gown taking his place at their head, and thus soberly attired they rode out soberly from Baratesta, neither Lepardo nor any of his men being able to restrain themselves from laughter to see them go. And most strange of all was Benna, who wore an old man's gown of red cloth trimmed with fur. It was now noon, and the band rode slowly, for the sun was very hot, and several times they paused to take shelter under clumps of trees, so that the afternoon waned before they came in sight of the duke's encampment. Soon then they were seen in their turn, and a young officer of the guard with three men came pricking towards them to learn their business, and Antonio hunched the syndic's gown about his neck, and pulled his cap down over his eyes, and thus received the officer. And the officer was deluded and did not know him, but said, "'Is there news, syndic?' "'Yes, there is news,' said Antonio. "'The hermit of the vault of the Peschetti is dead at Peratesta.' "'I know not of him,' said the officer. By this time Antonio's men had all crowded round the officer and his companions, hemming them in on every side, and those that watched from the duke's camp saw the merchants and traders flocking round the officer, and said to themselves, "'They are offering wares to him.' But Antonio said, "'How, sir, you have never heard of the hermit of the vault?' "'I have not, syndic.' said the officer. He was a man, sir, said Antonio, who dwelt with the dead in a vault, and was so enamoured of death that he greeted it as a man greets a dear friend who has tarried overlong in coming. In truth, a strange mood, cried the officer. I think this hermit was mad. I also think so, said Antonio. I cannot doubt of it, cried the officer. Then, sir, you are not of his mind, asked Antonio, smiling. You would not sleep this night with the dead, nor hold out your hands to death as to a dear friend? By St. Prisian, no, said the young officer with a laugh, for this world is well enough, syndic, and I have sundry trifling sins that I would be quit of before I face another. If that be so, sir, said Antonio, return to him who sent you, and say that the syndic of Baratesta rides here with a company of friends, and that his business is lawful and open to no suspicion. And even as Antonio spoke, every man drew his dagger, and there were three daggers at the heart of the officer, and three at the heart of each of the men with him. For by saying this, continued the Count, fixing his eyes on the officer, and by no other means can you escape immediate death. Then the officer looked to right and left, being very much bewildered, but Tomasino touched him on the arm and said, You have fallen, sir, into the hands of Count Antonio. Take an oath to do as he bids you, and save your life. And Antonio took off the syndic's cap and showed his face. 
and Benna rolled up the sleeve of his old man's gown and showed the muscles of his arm. "'The Count Antonio?' cried the officer and his men in great dismay. "'Yes, and we are four to one,' said Tomasino. "'You have no choice, sir, between the oath and immediate death, and it seems to me that you are indeed not of the mind of the hermit of the vault.' But the officer cried, "'My honour will not suffer this oath, my lord.' And hearing this, Benna advanced his dagger. But Antonio smiled again and said, "'Then I will not force it on you, sir, but this much I must force on you, to swear to abide here for half an hour, and during that time to send no word and make no sign to your camp.' To this the officer, having no choice between it and death, agreed, and Antonio, leaving him, rode forward softly, and riding softly, he passed within half a mile of the duke's encampment. But at this moment the officer, seeing Antonio far away, broke his oath and shouted loudly, "'It is Antonio of Montevelluto!' and set spurs to his horse. Then Antonio's brow grew very dark, and he said, "'Ride on swiftly, all of you, to the hills, and leave me here.' "'My lord!' said Tomasino, beseeching him. "'Ride on,' said Antonio sternly. "'Ride at a gallop. You will draw them off from me.' And they dared not disobey him, but all rode on. And now there was a stir in the duke's camp, men running for their arms and horses. But Antonio's band set themselves to a gallop, making straight for the hills, and the commander of the duke's guard did not know what to make of the matter, for he had heard the officer cry, Antonio, but did not understand what he meant. Therefore there was a short delay before the pursuit after the band was afoot, and the band thus gained an advantage, and Antonio turned away, saying, It is enough. They will come safe to the hills. But he himself drew his sword and set spurs to his horse, and he rode towards where the young officer was. And at first the officer came boldly to meet him. Then he wavered, and his cheek went pale, and then he said to his men who rode with him, "'We are four to one.' But one of them answered him, Four to two, sir.' "'What do you mean?' cried the officer. "'I see none coming towards us, but Count Antonio himself.' "'Is not God also against oath-breakers?' said the fellow, and he looked at his comrades, and they nodded their heads to him, for they were afraid to fight by the side of a man who had broken his oath. Moreover, the figure of the Count was very terrible, and the three turned aside and left the young officer alone.' Now by this time the whole of the duke's encampment was astir, but they followed not after Antonio, but after Tomasino and the rest of the band, for they did not know Antonio in the syndic's gown. Thus the young officer was left alone to meet Antonio, and when he saw this his heart failed him, and his courage sank, and he dared not wait Antonio, but he turned and set spurs to his horse, and fled away from Antonio across the plain, and Antonio pursued him, and was now very near upon him, so that the officer saw that he would soon be overtaken and the reins fell from his hand, and he sat on his horse like a man smitten with a palsy, shaking and trembling, and his horse, being unguided, stumbled as it went, and the officer fell from it, and he lay very still on the ground. Then Count Antonio came up to where the officer was, and sat on his horse, holding his drawn sword in his hand, and in an instant the officer began to raise himself, and when he stood up he saw Antonio with his sword drawn, and Antonio said, "'Shall men without honour live?' Then the officer gazed in the eyes of Count Antonio, and the sweat burst forth on his forehead, and a sudden strange choking cry came from him, and he dropped his sword from his hand, and with both hands he suddenly clasped at his heart, uttering now a great cry of pain, and having his face wrung with agony. Thus he stood for an instant, clutching his heart with both hands, his mouth twisted fearfully, and then he dropped onto the ground and lay still. And the Count Antonio sheathed his sword, and bared his head, saying, It is not my sword, but God's and he turned and put his horse to a gallop and rode away, not seeking to pass the duke's encampment, 
but directing his way towards the village of Rolano, and there he found shelter in the house of a friend for some hours, and when night fell, made his way safely back to the hills, and found that the duke's men had abandoned the pursuit of his company, and that all of them were alive and safe. But when they came to take up the young officer who had been false to his oath, he was dead, whether from fright at the aspect of Count Antonio and the imminent doom with which he was threatened, or by some immediate judgment of heaven, I know not. For very various are the dealings of God with man. For one crime he will slay and tarry not, and so perchance it was meted out to that officer. But with another man his way is different, and he suffers him to live long days, mindful of his sin, in self-hatred and self-scorn, and will not send him the relief of death, how much soever the wretch might pray for it. Thus it was that God dealt with the hermit of the vault of the Peschetti, who did not find death till he had sought it for twenty and three years. I doubt not that in all there is purpose, even as was shown in the manner wherein the hermit, being himself bound and tied to a miserable life, was an instrument in saving the life of Count Antonio. End of chapter. Recording by Brett Downey.